Hey everyone, Pastel here. Before we get started in today's pod, I just want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, question and answers with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all of the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program, it is limited, so get your application today. To apply, go to Blue, Blue Wire Hustle, so that's bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description in the box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. FCS college football season has started. Mel Kuyper drops his mock draft 2.0, and we break down Mac Jones and Justin Fields on this episode of Prospects 101. Again, the show where we break down football prospects on all levels, high school, college transfers, college recruiting, NFL prospects, and the NFL draft. Prospects 101 is brought to you by our great partner and supporter of the show, Blue Wire Pods. Two-man show today, as Mr. Keller is hard at work. Uh, so I'm joined halfway around the world by Brandon Pastel. What's up, man? What's up, Gus, man? How's it going? Freaking uh, week one's in the books of FCS. Now we're jumping on to week two, which, of course, being a James Madison alumni, this is probably my favorite college football to watch. It's just guys like this who stay all four years, give it all they got. And, they, and dude, you saw it last week, man, just just great football, and I, I enjoy it. Now, the prospects go to the NFL. They're very few, far in between, but there's always some, kind of like Trey Lance and a few other guys. But uh, I'm excited for it. The only problem with it being over here in the Middle East is uh, I'm watching games at, like, 2 a.m., which kind of hampers the whole sleep schedule a little bit. Well – to be fair, when you're in Hawaii, you know, you'd get up to watch a 1 p.m. Bengals game at, at what, 6.30 and start pounding margaritas at 7. So you're used to the old schedule. You're fun. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. Loco Mocos is uh, yeah, what we had. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Well, let's get right into it, Pastel. Talk a little bit and – or let's chat a little bit about – the FCS season that started last week, kind of some thoughts that you had, and then your players of the week, both on offense and on defense. Oh, I'm sorry, you've got two defensive players. So give me your top FCS players of the week after just kind of your initial kind of thought on how week one went. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing I noticed was the same powerhouses tend to be right back up there in the top five. North Dakota State, they handled Youngstown. Uh, last week pretty handily. However, I will say I thought they were going to beat them by more than just, I think, 17 points it was. 
so we'll see what, what they have uh, brewing there in North Dakota. But as far as stars of the week, man, Warford, they have a defensive lineman who's a sophomore named Michael Mason. He's about six foot three, two fifty five. He's gained about forty pounds since arriving to col- from college uh, his Ooh. freshman year. Last last week he had eight tackles, seven solo, three tackles for a loss, two sacks and a fumble. And again, his sophomore year. And this guy has already grown forty pounds, and obviously has shown the ability to maintain that athleticism. Just. Just some some guy that I think you need to keep your eye out on because I think in two years from now we're going to be talking about this guy being a day two pick in the NFL. as Michael Mason for Warford, extremely uh, stud uh, edge defender for them. Now the other guy, call me a homer, that's fine. But JMU obviously produces some talent there in the NFL. Mike Green, I think, is that next guy. He's the defensive tackle. He's six foot three, two hundred eighty five pounds. Now uh, he was preseason All American for the FCS. Uh, he had five tackles last week, along with a sack and a tackle for a loss. Now, get this, man. Along with, obviously, Mike Green on that defensive line, JMU's defense only allowed 98 total yards and negative six rushing yards last week against Moorhead State. That defense is as dominant as ever. And when I thought they were going to regress a step this year, I think they're now going to be – I think it's going to be North Dakota State and JMU right back at it in the championship after watching last week. I mean, just, just hearing you say that feels like I'm watching the, the national championship in the FBS, right? It's like the same teams every year, which is, hey, man, that's great for North Dakota. Hey, as a JMU fan, you got to be excited to be in that category. i tell you tell you what, nothing better than, you know, having the same two teams, but having one of those teams being your team. <laughs> it's probably the only sport I can say that in. Every other sport, my team sucks. Well, it's the Pelicans, it's the Bengals. Well, I guess the Nationals, they they won a World Series two years ago. Yeah, we ago. won a World Series. But, uh, but yeah, Jan used that. Yes, yes. But Jan used the one team year in, year out I can count on right now. So it, it, they're going to be good. There's some other teams, though. Uh, we saw Jackson State last week, right, Deion Sanders. They came out and laid a 52-piece, uh, which, you mean, that team is going to be – they're going to be up there. They're going to be competing. The question is, will they be able to compete in the playoffs? That usually is dictated year in, year out as far as where they play for – uh, the Celebration Bowl, where they be able to play in the playoffs, uh, so this is something to keep an eye out. Because if if Jackson State does become that powerhouse that we all think Deion Sanders will make them, it would be so exciting to see them go ahead and compete against the JMUs and the North Dakota States out there in the playoffs. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yep. Yep, no doubt. Well, get into kind of previewing this week, Pastel. Uh, what are three games that you have matchups uh, and potential spreads on what, what you would take this week in the FCS. Yeah, not not too much this week because a lot of these games in the beginning are kind of out of conference before. I think there's two out of conference games and most teams are going to play in conference games their last six. Uh, so South Dakota State, they're playing North Dakota. Both are 1-0. The spread right now is minus seven South Dakota State. I think South Dakota State is probably that third or fourth best best team in the FCS, so keep an eye out on them. But North Dakota, very formidable uh, opponent. They're definitely going to give them a fight for this as well. Now, North Dakota State, they're playing Southern Illinois. Now, the spread is minus 16.5, and while a lot of fans might think that's a lot, again, we're talking about North Dakota State. Guys that get picked in the first, second, and third round, that's not a huge spread, in my opinion, at least. Like I expect North Dakota State every week to be favored by – 30 almost, unless they're going against like a South Dakota state. So this just tells me one, North Dakota state might not be as powerhouse as they normally are. And Southern Illinois is obviously a very good football team as well. 
And then the third matchup, which is obviously a matchup I'm going to watch, JMU versus Robert Morris. JMU should win this game pretty handily. The spread right now is minus 38.5 in favor of JMU. Now, this is JMU's last, I won't call it cupcake game, but easier matchup before they go into the in-conference, which is where JMU will play Elon twice. They play William & Mary twice. They play Richmond twice because they only played their side uh, of the conference. So they're not going to be playing the New Hampshire and New Hampshire's of the world the Mains. or the Townsend's or Mains. right. So, yeah. uh, so this is really the last matchup for them to really get everything uh, clicking before they get into conference play next week. So that's that really my three main matchups to watch. Really the big one being the South Dakota State versus North Dakota. I think that's going to be a great matchup this week. Tell you what, do I see JMU minus 38 and a half? Is that, you do. Is that the you line? Do. Man, I – yeah, that's the like line, man. Line. And, uh, that's a massive line. Well, huh. that, that, so that line was around the that, that line was around the same last week, and they covered it by about twelve points. All right. <laughs> so well, uh, yeah, that's we'll a good see. Point, they have so. a forehead and running attack, so they're they're pretty good. That's true. All right, Pat. Now this wouldn't be prospects one hundred and one without getting into some recruiting news. Talk some some high school recruiting. Looked like we had a little bit of movement again. Kind of a dead week as the um, you know, the recruiting news has really slowed down because, you know, obviously we had the, the second national signing day come and go in the early February. But, you know, some some schools are playing. It's just kind of a weird year. But why don't you talk a little bit about uh, Ty Simpson, the five-star quarterback from Tennessee, some movement there, and what are some schools that are after him and what you really like about this kid? Yeah, so Ty Simpson is uh, the five-star quarterback from Tennessee. Uh, really rated probably as the third best passer in this this 2022 now uh, recruiting class, and, and he's going to be signing later today. Today being uh, Friday. Now, so when you hear this podcast, it probably would have already committed. But it sounds like all crystal balls, and when I say all, there's like seven right now. All points towards Alabama. So I would guess Alabama. However, it sounds like Clemson, Ole Miss, and Tennessee are trying to throw their last second shot at him right now. Uh, so you never know until he actually commits and puts that hat on. But I think he's going to go to Alabama. And speaking of Alabama, he's six foot two, one eighty five. He has extremely good accuracy, knows how to extend the play, and not the strongest arm. Who does that remind you of? To me, it reminds me of Tua. Like he, and Ty Simpson, he shows pretty much all of that right now. He's he's a very intellectual guy. Uh, above his really. He's showing years above his age right now. So I think he's going to come in and really replace Bryce Young, assuming Bryce Young leaves after his junior year, uh, like many do expect of him. So Todd Sims is going to come in there probably as redshirt freshman, sophomore year, and take over the realm at Alabama. The next guy is Will Johnson. He's a five-star corner, the number three corner, I believe, in this class, number one Mich- uh, player in Michigan. He's just a stud, a stud all around. He's six foot three, huge corner, 190 pounds. And, of course, coming from Michigan, he's probably going to declare to Michigan. And that signing is going to be on February 28th. And, again, all crystal balls point towards Michigan, Jim Harbaugh. So that would be a huge pickup for him and just really solidifies, again, which Michigan always tends to have is a pretty good defense. You never know what you're going to get out of the quarterback in that offense, but you can usually count on that defense. So two big signings should happen today and later this week. And, of course, they're going to the – Traditional blue bloods in Alabama and Michigan, most likely. 
Wow, that's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Will Johnson there. Uh, I mean, heck, man, look at that size, 6'3", 190. Man, you got to salivate to that. So hopefully Jim Harbaugh can get there and close him out uh, as, you know, tell you what, he needs help everywhere in that program, at least right now. So, Pasto, let's get into the mock draft season. What do you think about that? I, I, we cover a mock every Every episode now, and pretty much probably will until we get to April, but Mel Kuyper drops his 2.0 mock draft. So for everyone out there, here's what will happen. Um, I, I'm going to go through the first 10 picks, Pastel, and I will discuss it. Um, I, I'll, I'll say this before we get into all the players. My initial reaction to all of this is a couple of things. One, a lot of trades, a lot of trading up, and a lot of trading up from teams I didn't expect to trade up. That's the first thing that I put here. Also, tons of offensive talent uh, pretty much within the first, oh, I don't know, the first 20 picks, mostly offensive players, um, which I think most <laughs> people are starting to expect. But yep. there's a lot. there's a lot of guys that fell – in his latest mock draft that didn't they didn't think to that that would drop. So Mel Kuyper certainly interesting with some of uh some of the trades that he had in his two point mock draft. Certainly some that I that I have a lot of questions about. Pastel, what'd you think when you kind of first saw this mock before we go over it with our listeners? The very first thing I thought is that Mel Kuyper usually doesn't do trades. Not not normally at least. And the fact that he did trades tells me one thing. He thinks there's going to be a lot of trades this year. And most mock drafts that we have seen up to this point, to include Kenny's last week that, if you haven't heard, go back to our last week podcast and take a listen to, is it's inevitable that there's going to be trades this year because there's so many top-end quarterbacks that just, they just have to go to teams that need a quarterback. Uh, so that's my, that was my, my main observation was there's obviously trades in this one, and he's normally a guy, an analyst, that doesn't do trades very often. Yeah. I agree with that. So let's get underway. Um, and in the first 10, there's a lot of movement here. So I want everybody to follow me real quick. So <laughs> Jacksonville, number one overall, shocker, doesn't trade out of it because they'd be stupid to. Uh, Trevor Lawrence taking number one, quarterback out of Clemson. This is where things get interesting. The Atlanta Falcons move up from four to two, swap spots with the Jets, and they trade up to take Zach Wilson from BYU second overall. The Miami Dolphins stay at three, take Devontae Smith, receiver out of Alabama. The Jets go back to four because they want Kyle Pitts uh, out of Florida, uh, which is basically a sign that Sam Darnold is still the guy there. Cincinnati Bengals pastel get, get, gets a little tight in the pants when he sees this. Penny Sewell go and do his Cincinnati yeah. Bengals. <laughs> Uh, Philadelphia Eagles have a lot of needs pretty much everywhere. Take Jamar Chase there at six. Also, this is where things get really hairy. San Francisco moves up from 12. They switch spots with the Lions to take Justin Fields. Carolina at eight stays pat. They don't trade up, don't trade down. They take Mac Jones at eight. The New England Patriots move up from 15 to nine and take Trey Lance, very interesting there. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on that. And then the Dallas Cowboys round out the top ten and take Patrick Sertan, cornerback, out of Alabama. Pastel, a couple things that I have here. One, the Atlanta Falcons moving up from four to two, probably giving up a couple picks 
in in the process of doing that. I, I I question this because I think people think that moving on from Matt Ryan is going to be so easy, and I just don't think that. And I, I certainly don't think Matt Ryan is a bad player either. I still think he can play in this league for another couple seasons, and I certainly don't think it's the offense that was the problem in Atlanta. So to draft his successor and trade up to get his successor I think is an interesting move. I can see it. I don't agree with it. But, I mean, I could see it happening. That would kind of uh, be my initial thoughts there with Atlanta moving up to take Zach Wilson there at two. Yeah, I mean, I would almost argue the exact opposite. I agree with it, assuming you can get adequate trade value for Matt Ryan. Like maybe a team like the Saints or something like that might want Matt Ryan, a veteran quarterback there. But it all depends on what you can get for him and what you can, how you can unload that contract that he has with him right now. But well, I, guess, I, 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 I think that's my biggest thing, though, Pastel. I don't think they're going to be able to unload the contract. That, the contract, it, I think they – I read something today. If they drafted him – oh, shoot, where was it? It was something – if they traded him before July 1st, there's something like $30 million on the cap. It'd be a hit. Like, I just don't see it happening. Oh. I mean, that's I mean, that's a friggin' franchise. Yeah, maybe you just – I think I think from a Falcon standpoint is they're picking in the top four this year. They have a veteran quarterback that's probably, what, 37 now at this point or something like that. Um, they probably just don't think they're going to be picking the top four again. And when you have a draft with Wilson, Fields, Lance, Jones, and Lawrence, you, you don't have drafts like this very often. So maybe they're thinking is, hey, grab a franchise quarterback in a draft that has a few of them because we're probably not going to be picking the top five again. At least you don't expect to, right? So maybe that's maybe that's their – and this is their guy, Wilson, over the other guys I just mentioned. So – I'm with you, Gillespie. Like, I don't know if it makes sense. I don't necessarily see them jumping up to grab a quarterback, but it won't surprise me if they draft a quarterback at number four if they don't trade up either. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as, like, one other thing that I noticed, because I'm going to let you jump in kind of more on the probably the uh, Trey Lance uh, signing from the Patriots, but I'm looking at the Philadelphia Eagles, Jamar Chase. You know what this team reminds me of, Gloss? is when the Detroit Lions drafted Charles Rogers in the, fir- the first uh, round. Then they drafted Roy Williams. They missed on both of them. And then eventually they get, you know what, we're just going to keep shooting our shot. And they landed. They got Calvin Johnson a few years later. The Eagles had drafted Jalen Rager. Let's see. J.J. Arcaio-Whiteside in the first round. They got Travis uh, Fulgham, who broke, broke out last year. They got Alshon Jeffrey, like, None of these receivers have worked out, so maybe they just expect, like, eventually we've got to hit on receiver, right? <laughs> like, sure. And Jamar Chase is probably one of the guys that you hope it can be that guy, I guess. Yeah, certainly interesting. Again, I think I mentioned it uh, last week, but I think the Philadelphia Eagles have an equally poor record at picking wide receivers just like my Washington football team. So, you know, maybe third, fourth, maybe fifth time's the charm. We'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, I think San Francisco trading up with the Lions to get fields is an interesting slot because for a couple of different reasons. One, San Francisco is a year removed from almost winning the Super Bowl. I mean, they, they, they had it in their grasp and couldn't quite close it against the Chiefs. And for them to trade up after everybody after everybody getting healthy, right, I'm surprised that they would trade up and take a Jimmy G successor, although – and all for all intents and purposes, probably only a player or two away from winning that West and being the best team in the NFC again. 
So I think that is an interesting slot. I, I can see it because I can see it on the other view as well, right? Where, well, we have all the guys in place when we're healthy, so we want to get Jimmy G's successor there. Here's the only thing I'll say about Jimmy G. He was pretty much hurt all last year, so I think it's, I think it's kind of tough to say, well, he's not the guy. Well, he didn't really play, so it's kind of tough for me to say that. I don't disagree with it. I can well, see it. I, I just think if they're one player away, I don't know why you would take – and especially in a good draft spot like 12, why you would move up, get rid of draft capital, and take, for all intents and purposes, probably a backup quarterback, at least to start. Yeah, and their owner just came out this past week. Well, and their owner just came out this past week and said, Jimmy G is going to be our starter in 2021, assuming that he's healthy. So I'm not sure if Mel Kiper dropped this draft prior or after that comment, but all indications right now is that San Francisco 49ers are moving on, are moving forward with Jimmy G, at least for 2021. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the last thing that was a little bit shocking here, Car- well, Carolina takes Mac Jones at eight. The other thing about this is that we got one, two, three, four. I mean, do I see five quarterbacks taken in the top 10? That's, I mean, th- that would be historical because that's never happened. So that's the other thing. And, and then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm gonna. I got a bone to pick here. Uh, Pat's trading up to take <laughs> Trey Lance. Uh, Pat's right now don't have a single, uh, don't have a quarterback on their roster that I think they they would be comfortable with going into opening day with. The only thing I could see is like a Fitzpatrick going there and starting, and then that may make this make sense, right? If they have a day one, if they don't, and they expect Trey Lance to come in day one and be the starter, well, I, I just can't see Bill Belichick doing that like that's to me that's got that would be one of the most catastrophic things I could ever think of a guy that clearly needs some more development time and you're going to throw him to the wolves day one especially with an offensive coordinator like Josh McDaniels who has experience taking a quarterback who wasn't ready and not able to develop him I think of the Tim Tebow era when he was the head coach I don't know this one doesn't even feel right to me unless the Pats you know, maybe they re-sign Cam, or maybe they take, you know, they've got Ryan Fitzmagic there, and, you know, they take Lance to say, hey, you know, we're going to sit him for a year, that's the plan, and going forward, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it could be interesting there at nine. It's hard for me to see the Pats trading up in the first round, because Pastel, I don't think they've ever done that, at least not when Bill Belichick's been there. It, it, it's been- it's very rare, and not to mention, like, we talk about a system, Josh and Daniels, not only is it a very complicated system, you're talking about a system that's been run by the same quarterback for the last, what, 18 years almost? So it's a system based off of one quarterback for the most part. You saw what happened last year with Cam Newton. Like, he struggled for most of the season for one reason or another. So to throw in Trey Lance, the most inexperienced quarterback in this entire group that we just mentioned, just seems like a recipe for disaster for not only Trey Lance's confidence and his development, but also for the Patriots. I just, I'm with you, Gloss. Unless they sign Fitzpatrick or a veteran quarterback, no way can Trey Lance be a day one starter in the NFL. Not for the Patriots, at least. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, not for the Patriots. I just don't think that's Bill Belichick's style, right? Um, Not saying he can't start in the league and not saying he couldn't do it for the right team, but I certainly don't think that's the best spot for him at all. Um, at least not not until he kind of is mentored by someone and has some time to develop. Let's get into 11 to 20 here. New York Giants take Jalen Waddell, 
right? They pad that receiving core and add Jalen Waddle out of Alabama. Micah Parsons, uh, probably the best defensive player in the draft, falls to 12 uh, and goes to Detroit. Uh, the Chargers take Rashawn Slater, offensive tackle, out of uh, Northwestern University. Minnesota Vikings take Alija uh, uh, Vera Tucker, offensive guard or tackle, depending on what you want, out of USC. De- Broncos take Caleb Farley, corner out of uh, Virginia Tech at 15. Cardinals bump up the secondary, take J.C. Horn, corner out of South Carolina. The uh, Las Vegas Raiders take Trayvon Morig, probably the best safety in the draft at 17. Dolphins take Jeremiah Owu, uh, I, man, I always screw up his last name, Owusu uh, uh, Koromoa, linebacker out of uh, the University yep. of Notre Dame. Uh, the Washington football team takes Christian Darisaw, offensive tackle out of Virginia Tech. And then rounding out the 20, the Chicago Bears take Kadarius Tony, wide receiver out of Florida. Couple couple thing notes here. Uh, Micah Parson falls to 12 to Detroit. Um, I think Detroit sees him fall for some reason, and that's why they trade back and take him there. I think the Trayvon Morig at 17 – well, I think the run of secondary from 15 to 17 is interesting, but I most like – I'm looking at the, the Morig pick at 17 because safeties, although they are in plentiful in this draft, I don't know if there's a first-round safety here. So this looks a little bit like a reach to me especially taking a safety in the first round, but interesting there. And, then, of course, my Washington football team taking Christian Darisaw. Love the pick. He had a fantastic season at Virginia Tech. Always could beef up the offensive line uh, to help protect whoever is going to be playing quarterback for us next season. Uh, but to me, the offensive line is certainly a, a point of need for us here in the offseason. But, Pastor, what else do you think? What else stood out to you uh, 11 through 20? Yeah, well, the biggest thing, obviously, to me is Michael Parsons falling to number 12 to the Detroit Lions. And this is a product of five quarterbacks getting picked in the top 10. That means great talent then falls to you in the, the second half of the draft. Uh, no matter where you stand on, say, Caleb Farley, a lot of drafts have hit him in the top 10 and some even in the top five. So the fact that the Broncos, who are probably rebuilding that defense and especially that secondary, for, him to the, for them to get a talent like Caleb Farley at 15, I think is a great pick for them that they're able to land him. Um, Washington football team, like you mentioned, they're going to have to keep really rebuilding that offensive line, especially if they let uh, Brandon Sheriff go to free agency. We'll see what happens with that. But whoever the quarterback is going to be next year, they've got to start up front and protect him. So we've seen what's happened in the past with quarterbacks and Washington's uh, team with, you know, RG3. And then, of course, uh, the most recent quarterback, Alex Smith, get hurt for not having a good offensive line. So they got to keep building up that. But this is where you start seeing the, the, the players that aren't as sexy, right, the receivers, the quarterbacks. They don't necessarily go in this range because they all went in the top ten, it seems like, for the most part. So you see a lot of offensive linemen, defensive players, corners, safeties go here. I do like the Jeremiah Owuso uh, koromoa pick. He's been a stud linebacker all year. And what they're doing down there in Miami, they're just – they're building off an already playoff team for the most part. And I think this is a great – addition to that defense and a great addition to that team to just make get them over that hump to get them to the playoffs next year as well 
Yeah, I think that's a great point there. That team went 10-6 and six last year, really only a couple players away from being a perennial 11-5, and 13-3 season with that roster, especially on that defense. I, I really do like what they have on defense. So I agree with you there. They really helped themselves, at least in this mock so far. Uh, 21 through 32, we'll kind of round everything out. Colts uh, take uh, Gregory Rousseau, defensive end out of Miami, closely following uh, was his teammate Jalen Phillips uh, out of Miami, the uh, defensive end, going to the Titans at 22. The New York Jets take uh, uh, Quiddy Pay, the defensive end, out of Michigan. So you see a run on rug, uh, edge rushers right there, 21 to 23. Steelers at 24 take Landon Dickerson, interior offensive lineman from Alabama. You could do a lot worse than that, especially – uh, figuring out how bad the Steelers were on offense, at, at least on the offensive line. Jags end up with Christian Barrymore, defensive tackle from Alabama, probably the best defensive tackle in the draft. Uh, Browns get Zaven Collins, outside linebacker out of Tulsa. Ravens uh, lock in Terrence Marshall, receiver out of LSU. Uh, the New Orleans Saints get Jason Owe, defensive edge rusher out of Penn State. Packers go with Joe Tryon, edge rusher, outside linebacker, kind of a hybrid out of the University of Washington. Bills, Trayvon Jenkins, offensive tackle, Oklahoma State. Walker Little, offensive tackle out of Stanford, then goes to the Kansas City Chiefs at 31. And then rounding out your world champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers take Aziz Ojari, edge rusher, defensive end, out of Georgia. A couple thoughts from me before I get your uh, your initial reaction to round out Mel Kuyper's mock draft. One, love the Zayvon Collins pick for the Browns at 26. I think that's fantastic. It's a really good spot for him. The Joe Tryon pick is going to be interesting. There's, you know, again, he, he's a guy who opted out, I, in my opinion, could have helped his stock by playing this season, even though it would have been minimal. Um, Walker Little, offensive tackle out of Kansas City. That seems to make a lot of sense, especially with what happened there in the Super Bowl. And then I think what what I think is interesting here, Pastel, the Bills go offensive tackle and don't go with Najee Harris here at 30, which to me would be a match made in heaven. But my boy Najee Harris does not go in the first round here <laughs> in the mock draft. I thought he would go to the Bills at 30 here, but he does not. What do you think uh, – how do you think Mel did 21 through 32? I mean, I think he, he kind of nailed it on the head as far as, like, I think there's going to be a late run on defensive ends and edge rushers because it's a crapshoot, right? Like, we don't really know where to put Gregory Rousseau because he's, like, six foot seven. He had an absurd amount of sack, sacks. I think he had 15 and a half his uh, redshirt freshman year, sophomore year it was. I mean, the dude's got all the talent in the world, but wait, where does he actually play? Because he can play all over that defensive line. He missed last year. He opted out. So it's, it, it's I don't know, it's just a lot of potential, but you don't know exactly what you have there. Jalen Phillips, same way. He didn't do very well at UCLA. He was the number one player in the nation coming out of high school. But then he really showed what he had last year with Miami once he transferred there. But in a big time, you know, size, he's like six foot five, big time player. But is it, it's one year of production. So it's really hard to evaluate these guys. And you got somebody with production with Quiddy Pay. Again, do you want potential over production? We'll see how that works out. But that's where I see a lot of these guys going in the, the later half of the first round. Some other uh, players that I thought were good picks really were uh, one, Landon Dickerson for Steelers. That offensive line was horrible last year. And not to mention they're, they're all pro center, retired, their left tackle. 
is most likely going to hit free agency. So they just got to keep rebuilding that offensive line in a very – and they're already, you know, cap very restricted with Big Ben's contract right now. So they don't have a lot of room to go address that in free agency. So you got to address it through the draft. And Landon Dickerson was one of the best players on that offensive line last year for Alabama. So that would be a great start for them. I'm with you, Gluss. I don't think Joe Tryon is a first-round pick. I actually think he's probably more towards the middle of the second, if not later half of the second. I agree with I that. I love the 100%. potential there, but I think he could have shown more in college. Um, and, and really, he's a tweener. And tweeners sometimes don't do very do well, or they take a while to adapt to the NFL. Walker Little, not a big-time uh, fan of him either going in the first round, even though I know Kansas City has to address the offensive line. Because we saw what happened in the Super Bowl when they lost their all-pro left tackle. But I just don't know if, if Walker Little was that guy. He's got the size. He's a big-time player. But he's been he's been vulnerable in that Stanford offense. I just don't know how well it's going to translate to the NFL. Uh, the one player I do like a lot, though, as well from the skill position is Terrence Marshall, Jr. You look at LSU. They've had now, if this goes as what Mel Kiper predicts, this going to be three first-round wide receivers in the last two years uh, with Jefferson, and then you got Chase, and now you got Terrence Marshall. And I think they're all great receivers. And I think Terrence Marshall, very underrated at LSU this past year, but he did nothing but produce. And I think he's going to do nothing but produce in an offense like the Ravens that was severely, severely uh, limited with their uh, pass catchers, you know, with Brown and then really just their tight end. That was their only main two looks for Lamar Jackson. So I think they have to go for receiver to be that X receiver like Terrence Marshall will be a big pickup for them. Yeah, no kidding. I actually really like that pick as well. I meant to mention that there. So, well, before we get into the quarterback breakdown, the only thing that I that I'll say about Mel as a whole, I generally prefer Mel as as the guy I listen to, and and I I, I take two things away from this this mock. One, what it tells me is that nobody knows how this thing's going to go, right? Nobody knows how it's going to go because Mel right here has five quarterbacks being taken in the top ten. That's never happened before. Right, and and if a guy that has the the connections and has his own staff that watches all this film foresees this, it just tells me that nobody knows what's going to happen, Pastel. Because this, I mean, this mock mock draft is bold. It's probably one of the more bold ones mm-hmm. I've seen. And so, if Mel thinks that way, then that just tells me that I think teams are preparing for a lot of different scenarios, and I think that there may be some teams that make some decisions that they're going to kick themselves for later because they're preparing for all these different sets because they don't know what's going to happen. It's going to make April very, very, very interesting, man. Yeah. i tell you what, it's going to be very entertaining. I'll say, I, I, I'll say one other thing to your point with that really is when you look at free agency, what's going to happen here in the next two weeks, I think you have to account for the draft. And right now the draft is very quarterback heavy. It's very offensive line heavy and wide receiver heavy. So if you're going into free agency and you have a hole at wide receiver, I don't think this is the year to go address that in free agency and go spend $80 million on a Kenny Galladay type of player, right? Like when you can grab a guy like uh, Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith or uh, Chase and, you know, Terrence Marshall, like why would you go spend $80 million on a guy when you can get him for $15 million over four years? So I think you have to look at the draft and what kind of skill positions they have available in the first round. And you really have to address the opposite almost into free agency. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and, and a lot a lot's going to change, and I bet this mock's going to change significantly after a lot of the stuff that we'll see 
happen here in March when free agency opens. So, all right, Pat, so let's move on to our quarterback evaluation. Again, anybody who listens to the show know that Kenny and I uh, broke down Zach Wilson and broke down Jamie Newman as a part of our uh, quarterback breakdown series. So Pastel and I are going to break down two quarterbacks in a very similar fashion. Again, you see these guys being thrown around in mock drafts. You you saw them play on Saturdays. You saw them play in the college football playoff. But what are these guys actually good at, and what do scouts really like? So it's going to be a lot of fun. Again, we started this process a couple weeks ago, and we're going to continue this. So for me, Pastel, I went and took I, – I took Mac Jones, certainly a guy – from all accounts, had one of the best seasons in college football history from a quarterback perspective. Uh, threw for 4,500 yards, 41 touchdowns, and only four interceptions. Surely had stats that rivaled Joe Burrow from a year ago. Um, some, some. I, I think what's really good to note about Mac Jones is understanding the offense that he played in at Alabama and how – unique it was compared to maybe some of the other quarterbacks that we're going to break down. I was watching uh, a coaching clinic video that Steve Sarkeesian gave a year ago in Atlanta, and he was kind of breaking down the the offense and, and what they do at Alabama. And they're an RPO first offense, and pretty much everything has an RPO on it. Um, and I thought that if you look at what Mac Jones did, Mac Jones, and it's a huge pro of his, I love his understanding of the offense, and he had elite decision-making when it came to the RPO game, and that's what made him so successful. Think of him like a point guard in basketball. That's what that's what I see when I see Mac Jones. I see a guy who operated in an RPO-based offense. Everything was an RPO, and when you have an RPO-based offense and you've got guys that are going in the first round, you're going to be really successful. And I think that's what you saw there in 2020 with the stats and again, he was just the point guard in the offense, right? Think of Kyler Murray. Think of Baker Mayfield in college, right? These guys were really point guards at their positions that could distribute the ball to their playmakers with really good accuracy, give them the ball, and give them room to run. And that's what I see out of Mac Jones, right? Point guard, extremely accurate. He has elite ball placement in the short and the intermediate throws. And what do I mean by that? And a lot of the RPO game – they are short and intermediate throws because the offensive line can only go three yards down the field. So you can't have an RPO where you're throwing all go routes because the offensive line is clearly going to be over the three yards by the time the ball is thrown, which is thus a penalty. He has elite ball placement in that short and media throw range. I, I love what he does within that 15-yard range. It's awesome. Great mechanics, really polished footwork. You can tell this guy was born to play quarterback. He's been bred to play quarterback all the way from high school, and he's really been coached well. Um, he's a guy that's ta- that obviously didn't start right away at Alabama. He played behind Tua. And you can see he's really taken to a lot of coaching, really waited for his time, and can really kind of navigate the pocket. I, that's what I really liked about him. He gets through all his reads really efficiently. He has that quick release. Again, think of that point guard in basketball. He's very accurate, and I love his eyes, right? His eyes are are locked into where his read's supposed to be. He processes information extremely fast. Those are a lot of the pros of Mac, Mac Jones and why I think he's going to be a good pro. He may not be a, a Pro Bowl pro, but I think he's going to be a really good pro. And, you know, if you look at what people are saying, think of June Jones came out and said Mac Jones is the best 
quarterback in this draft. You know, do I agree with that? No, I don't agree with that. But think about what June Jones is, right? June Jones has developed a lot of quarterbacks in his career. He knows the quarterback position, and he's right on one thing. The reason he likes Mac Jones so much is because June Jones runs the run and shoot, which is a very <clears throat> calculated offense from if the read is here, then you go here, then you go here, then you go here. And he sees Mac Jones being able to process what defenses do very quickly. And he loves seeing Mac Jones really distribute the ball. Again, I keep using this analogy, like a point guard in basketball. So those are a lot of pros with Mac Jones. Let's get into some of the con- some of the cons. I think he has kind of an average arm. Um, I don't think he has an elite arm, but in my opinion, I actually think arm strength's a little bit overrated at the NFL level. Everybody has a cannon, right? So if you have an average arm, I think if you process defenses quickly and you have a really good accuracy, I think you can overcome that. Uh, boundary throws, kind of his timing routes required a fastball. Um, floated some throws. I think that's just kind of being a little bit picky there. I think a big con for him, and this is just my opinion of quarterbacks, he's only had one year of elite play. And he only started for a year. And so we really only has, what did they play past now? I think 13 games. Did, did Alabama? No, they didn't play that many. Yeah, so they play, what, 12? Really only really – It's around that, yeah. Yeah, 12. To, really, that's, that's the only film that he's got, right? So he really only has 12 games of live action at the collegiate level. I, I think that's a con because you haven't seen everything that defenses can throw at you. And not only that, you kind of played – in this offense that I thought put defenses really in a predictable spot, right? And so he hasn't really had to play in an offense that isn't designed like that. So I think that's something really interesting to know about Mac Jones. Uh, the receivers tended to bail him out several times on the deep balls. Well, you know, when you have Jalen Waddle and you've got Devontae, uh, Devontae Smith, they tend to do that. And, you know, I, I have two more, and I think he's a little bit tough to evaluate because of the offense – that he ran at Alabama, right, RPO-based. Not saying they don't do that at the NFL level. There's teams that certainly do a lot of that. Um, But I I think he's got to go to an offense that's similarly based like that. And last but not least, I've got concerns with his body size and his inability to not be elusive. I've got concerns that he can take punishment of a 16-game season in the NFL, right? He's not a – He's not a physical specimen like a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields or a, a Trevor Lawrence or a Zach Wilson. Um, I, he just doesn't have that firm body, I guess you could say. So I, I'd have concerns about him being able to take punishment at the next level. Um, NFL comfort for me, for him, was a little bit difficult, but I think Derek Carr is probably the closest thing that I can think of. Um probably a Derek Carr mixed in with a little bit of Kyler Murray with the ability to kind of distribute the ball uh, a little bit. So that's kind of my breakdown of Mac Jones, Pasto. Yeah, and I think one thing to remind yourselves as fans about Mac Jones and the Alabama offense is if you thought Tua was very good, think about the receivers that Tua had to throw. Not only did he have Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, but he also had guys like Henry Ruggs. Uh, yeah, Jerry Judy. Uh, he had pretty much four first-round wide receivers playing with him last year. And Matt Jones had, yeah, he had Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, but Jalen Waddle was hurt, you know, those last, like, three or four games. So he was able to do all that he did, 41 touchdowns, four interceptions, with really just Devontae Smith, who, of course, was a Heisman winner. 
But just remind yourself of that when he had less skill and less athletes on the outside than Tua did and put up very similar numbers as Tua. So just something to keep him back in your mind uh, as you go ahead and evaluate him and just say, like, oh, he's a system of the a product of the system, had all its athletes. Well, so did Tua. And Tua has worked out pretty well in the NFL as well. And Matt Jones, you could have an argument, played better than Tua uh, last year. So just something that I thought about, you know, as I was kind of evaluating myself. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's certainly an interesting use case. And I think he's going to have to go to a spot that ha- had a similar type of offense. Um, and, and if that's the case, I definitely think he can be a day one starter in the NFL uh, if not, he may be a guy that's going to have to just kind of sit for a little bit, learn an offense. But I think that his decision-making, I think that he's an elite understanding of offenses. So, you know, I certainly think that he can be a, a, a really good pro. Do I see him being a Pro Bowl pro? I don't. Um, do I see him being elite? No. I see him being a good pro, though. I think he can be very good in the NFL. So, Pastor, why don't you break down for us Justin Fields? Certainly – uh, a guy that's very popular, has been popular as a first-round draft picks basically since he's been in high school. So why don't you break down a lot of the positives, the pros, and then the cons, and then maybe a compare, uh, comparison uh, for Justin Fields. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing is, obviously, Matt Jones, is, his stock has been – skyrocketing I would argue these past two or three months really this whole senior se- or past season Justin Fields you could make the almost the, the exact uh, opposite argument maybe not skyrocketing downward but he's been falling you see guys like Zach Wilson jump him you see guys like Mac Jones having a case to jump in as well and that's one thing I want everyone to just kind of pump the brakes on brakes on a little bit understand Justin Fields is a very good quarterback he's six foot three 225 pounds he had a phenomenal last two years at Ohio State uh, this past year, he had, what do you have, uh, 22 touchdowns, six interceptions, close to 400 yards rushing. The year before that was his, you know, Heisman campaign, where I think he finished second. And he had 41 touchdowns, three picks, and close to 500 yards rushing. The guy is a superb athlete, superb quarterback. Let's not try to over-critique him. So he's just going to be – he's going to – he has Pro Bowl potential in the NFL. Now, the things about him that – you got to love from the scouting department is he's got a strong arm. He's got a very, very strong arm. And his deep ball accuracy is elite. I think he can throw, he, he reminds me to go straight into my comparison a little bit of Justin Herbert. I think Justin Herbert's deep ball is really good. And I, I can I like see that. a lot of uh, ways to train. Yeah. Justin Fields is very like similar that. to that. And honestly, people underrate, you know, Justin Herbert's ability to run the ball. And I would argue Justin Fields is a very similar type of runner. Uh, he's long legs. He picks up speed as he gets going. He's not going to necessarily juke anybody, but he is going to definitely pick up chunks of yards when you get him the open field to go ahead and do so. And that's the other thing about him is he's not afraid to run the ball. I know Kenny, our co-host, he says he's not the most athletic quarterback, even though or he's not as athletic as you might believe he is. I would almost argue the opposite. I, I do believe he is as athletic as he looks like on the field and – while he might not be a Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray, he's still a very dynamic and very good running uh, running back. He's also a rhythm quarterback. You can see in games when he starts picking up his rhythm, he starts getting into a rhythm, he's almost unstoppable. Look at the games at Clemson. Look at other games where he just throws five, six touchdowns. I think his first two or three games this past year, he had more touchdowns than he had total incompletions. So that just kind of shows what type of quarterback he is when he gets a rhythm. Uh, 
Now, that being said, some of the negatives of part of his game is I'm a little bit curious about his, his ability to read his second and third receiver. I think he's more of a, you know, he hikes the ball and he sees the receivers and he, he throws it uh, pretty quickly. Um, I don't see him kind of making that progression that I would like to see. And that kind of goes towards his lack of awareness in the pocket. I think he's able to extend plays, keep his eyes downfield, but when he's in the pocket, I think he might get a little bit rattled. So I think he either bails out too quick or he gets through the ball a little too quick and he needs to let the play develop a little bit more. So that's really his biggest negative, in my opinion, is to be able to progress in his reads and have a little bit more awareness uh, in the pocket to be able to do so. If he's able to do that, then I think the, the the potential is, you know, the sky's the limit for him. As far as the other negative, and this is more of a system and program negative, if you look at the quarterbacks there, none of them are really translated into the NFL. You look at Dwayne Haskins. He was a bust after a year. JT Barrett never made his way in the NFL. And then Cardell Jones obviously was playing the XFL there for a little bit, so he never made his way into the NFL. But all of those guys produced amazing stats at college. And you just start to wonder, not saying he's – He's obviously a way better quarterback than those three, but you do start to wonder, like, hey, are these numbers kind of a prize to that offense and that system and really just being in Ohio State where you're surrounded by nothing but five- and four-star athletes around there? So there's just not a track record of proven success from quarterbacks coming from that program. Uh, so overall, I still think he's a top-five player. I think he's going to go in the top five. I will probably expect for him to go in the top three, if not the second overall player going to the New York Jets. But – there's definitely some holes in his game. I hope he's able to clear those up. Uh, but that, for the most part, he's still a dynamic player and really has the right to really be that second guy behind Trevor Lawrence. What about you, Les? Yeah, I mean, a lot of what you said already, I think that there was uh, a couple scouts that came out a couple weeks ago said that they looked at Justin Fields on film. Obviously loved the physical part of him, you know, but basically threw to his number one receiver, you know, something like, you know, 80, 90% of the time, which – to be quite honest with you, you have five-star receivers at Alabama or at uh, Ohio State. I mean, those guys are always open. You know, it's, it's tough to tough to knock them for that, right? If the guy's open, then the guy's open. Um, I, I like Fields a lot. I, I agree with you. I think the Justin Herbert comp is probably the best one that I have for him. I think he's athletic, um, but in the same way that Justin Herbert's athletic, right? Um, and Ohio State, they didn't really incorporate Justin Fields a whole lot into the quarterback run game because they wanted to keep him healthy. I think that he's going to struggle at the beginning in the NFL, but ultimately I think he's going to be a very, very good professional quarterback. I really do. I think he's going to be a guy that it may take a year or two to to get to kind of get going. Again, he had the the one year at Ohio State. He had this season, so he's gotten some good film out there. I like Fields personally. I think he's the, the probably the second best quarterback that you would want in this draft, um, but it would be a toss up with him and uh, and Zach Wilson. But hey, man, I, I like the kid. I like the makeup. Uh, I like the arm, um, and ultimately, I really like his potential. I mean, I think he's a guy that will be able to yeah. build into his potential. He's one of the few guys in this draft I think can do that. So, I like Fields. I think he's a top five pick. Yeah. I think. I think. You know, if if Wilson's not there, uh, I think I think Fields is 100% the pick over you know the other two or three guys that you'd even consider there. So definitely a future Pro Bowler yeah. uh, for for a few years, definitely. I want I want to say something too. I think this quarterback draft class is one of the best I've ever seen. 
I think you go back to a comparable draft might be when it was Big Ben, Eli Manning, and Phillip Rivers all ended up being, for the most part, Pro Bowl, All-Pro, and Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. So I broke down a quick scale before we wrap up the show. And the way I kind of evaluate quarterbacks is I look on a scale of 1 to 100, 95 to 100 being an All-Pro type of player. 90 to 94 being Pro Bowl, so I look at Phillip Rivers' comparison. 80 to 89 being just an NFL starter, someone like an Andy Dalton for most of his career. A 70 to 79 being a Fitzpatrick, Tyrod Taylor, you know, career backup. And then a 60 to 69, really just guy that's in the league for four years and he's going to go play for the Canadian Football League. So I say all that saying, when I evaluate these quarterbacks, I got players like, you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence as a 96. I believe he's got all pro level and the only quarterback that I can imagine coming out of college with a comparable all pro type of level is Peyton Manning, who I have as the probably the best quarterback that we've seen come out of high school, uh, college. And I've got him as 98, but other, other guys like Zach Wilson, I have a 94, Justin Fields, a 93. And those are all quarterbacks with a higher rating than I believe was big than say Baker Mayfield, say Tua, Sam Darnold. Like these are both Zach Wilson and Justin Fields, I believe are better prospects than say Baker, Tua, Sam Darnold, and even Josh Allen coming out a few years ago. Now did some of those guys like Josh Allen, you know, Prove me wrong? Absolutely. But coming out of Wyoming, going to the NFL, I thought he was, you know, an NFL starter at best. But that's kind of where I just, you know, kind of wrapping it all up. That's where I see Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. They have that Pro Bowl type of caliber coming into this draft. Yep, absolutely. I mean, can't can't argue about the, the range of talent and the reason why a lot of teams may move up to get these guys. So, Paso, let's get out of here. Uh, as always, you can subscribe to Prospects 101 on your favorite podcast platform. Just make sure you hit subscribe to have the recent episodes downloaded to your iPhone or Android or whatever device that you have or listen to us on the computer for all you want. Whatever whatever way you listen to your podcast, we're certainly there. As always, follow Prospects 101 on social media at Prospects101pod. And that's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For Pastel, I'm Gless. We'll be next week, or we'll, we'll talk next week, release one of our new mock drafts.